and welcome to episode 114 of Inside AgriTurf, and I'm your host, Chris Biddle. My guest today is Andrew Findlay of Ultra Homes and Gardens in Bournemouth, providing garden makeovers, which at least has a link to this podcast. But the clue as to why I wanted to talk to Andrew lies in the word ultra. For Andrew is an experienced competitor in ultra-endurance races, ranging from competing in the 200km race in the 50-degree heat of the Sahara to 300km races across the French Alps in the biting cold, whilst climbing the equivalent of Everest three times. Now, the quality that all competitors need in such events is resilience which can be simply summed up as the ability to keep going. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. But it's never just about toughness. Today, Andrew is a motivational speaker talking to groups and businesses about resilience, of being able to cope successfully with bad or difficult times. And you can be assured that Andrew experienced many of those during his participation in extreme conditions. So Andrew, thank you for joining me. And first, what what is your background in sports and recreation? My background goes way back when I did a degree in physical education back in university, way back in the day. And then from there, I taught PE and outdoor education for a while. And then from then on, I left and went into business. But at the same time, I was in kept up with the sports, kept playing football. So it was really football and outdoor ed, I guess, was my basis for all my sport growing up. And how did you, how did you discover ultra events? Did you, had you given up football at that time? Yeah, it was by accident. I'd go to the foreign, I used to run a football team. And it got to the stage where I was, I was spending more time on the bench than on the pitch. And, and that was with me picking the team. I still couldn't justify myself being on the pitch. I was getting a bit old. And so I figured I needed something else. So I, I thought I'd try doing an Ironman, which is the friend of mine persuaded me. He says, just let's try an Ironman, which was a big jump. As at that point, neither of us even run a marathon before or did anything like that, but we thought we'd try. And I did an Ironman first of all. And after the Ironman, I realized that I didn't like the swimming. I wasn't a, a great cyclist, but when on the running section of the race, I did a lot better competitively compared to everything else. So I thought maybe just lose the other two. I just focus on the distance running. Indeed. And what's the definition of ultra events? An ultra race, as a running race, it originally was coined as an ultra run was anything longer than a marathon. But I think now with ultra running taking off in popularity, realistically, it's anything over 50 miles. We a better point for Russia. And I see that you tend to engage in the veteran category. What, what qualifies as being a veteran? Amazingly, I think veterans start at the age of 35, which doesn't seem that old to me now. It seems like a, a nipper of running at 35. But I think the yeah, it starts at 35 and 40, 45, 50, and it just keeps going up in, in increments of five years from veteran. Which, so I've been a veteran a long time. In fact, I was well and truly a veteran when I started. You're, if, you've, if it's not too indelicate, you're over 50, and I think you've reached another decade now, haven't you? Yep, 60 this year. It's scary thought. Uh, where did your ultra running career, if I could call it that, start then, Andrew? It was a race. I actually, it was on the Dawson Coast Path, starting, I think it was Charmouth, and it was called the race called the Warner. 
and it was 80 miles. And that was my first ultra. And it basically ran from uh, Charmouth all the way back on the coast path through Weymouth and all the way back to the chain ferry at Pool, the sandbags. And uh, so that was my first ever effort. And I had no idea what to expect. I thought I was going to do fine. And it was just an experience, an unbelievable experience of pain and suffering is the other way to describe it. I, I had no idea what was going and And yet it didn't put you off. It did at the time when I finished that race. So that's it. I'm, I thought my training should be going in the bed. I was never going to do another one. But it's it's bizarre how I think you, you forget the pain. And after a while, you get addicted to the thought of another adventure, having another go and trying to do better and uh, be better prepared. And and where did that take you then? What other events did you have on your calendar then? Once you I, recovered? I, I, I once I recovered, I, I went back and uh, I did that particular race again. I had another crack at it and just trying to do a better time. And then did another race called, a th- it was three marathons in three days. It's almost the same race, but divided over three days. It was a marathon a day, again, along the coast path back to Tool. I did those two races. And then I entered a race called the, the Ultra UTMB, Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, which was a, a race around uh, the Mont Blanc Massif, starting in Chamonix, finishing in Chamonix. And it runs around through France into Switzerland, Italy and Switzerland, and then back again into France. And that is a, it's a, one of the most famous structures in the world. It's really hard to get in. Unfortunately, I got in the first time. It's 105 miles with a lot of climbing. Uh, and how did you get on? Did you finish it? Yep, finished that one. That was one of my better finishes. I came 65th in that race. As and now as, as I was, I put up 48 at that time, so almost 50. Well, that was one of my best results. Yeah. And what did you discover during that one, Andrew? It was much tougher than you'd ever tackled before, was it? Oh, without a doubt. It was because like, it was the distance from the longest run I'd done, and it was the climbing. So it's close to 27,000 feet of climbing throughout the race. So it's, as in, it's almost climbing Everest from sea level in one go. And it's a lot faster because it's more competitive at this stage. And I was racing now. So I think what I learned was it's amazing how much you can improve with practice, with practice and training and learning lessons along the way. You just become older and wiser. And I think you learn the lessons, how to become more resilient and living with the pain and not being shot by it. Because I think it's partly every usher will tell you part of the rate, part of racing is the pain. There's no, you can be the best in the world, but you're going to suffer. And was it after that, uh, because I know you took uh, p- part in this uh, race across the Sahara, what was that like and what was your experiences and, and, and how did that go? That must have been extremely tough. That was, again, it's a, it's, it is a really tough race. Probably one and a half, you know, I did it about one and a half thousand competitors and it's 250 kilometers across the Sahara Desert. And the hardest part is you've got to carry all your kit. When I first did it, I thought they'd made a mistake. I misread it on the instructions on the guide to the race. Because I thought, how can you run all that way and have to carry everything? So you've got to carry your sleeping bag, all your clothes, you, all your food. The you eat for six days. And, and there's lots and lots of things like a anti-snake, venom pumps and torches. There's so much kit you've got to carry. And to run across the sand, and anybody's ever run on soft sand before, there's big sections of that, and it gets up to about 50 degrees. It was just coping with day after day of just unrelenting heat and sand. And I hadn't done that before. It was my first 
multi-stage race, as they call it. And presumably sleeping out under the stars with, with a group of people? Yeah, you're, you're in a tent. There's a big bivouac. At the end of each day, they set up a tent, a lot of tents in the middle of the desert, and they put them up and turn them down every day, and then the run moves on and they build camp again. But you're in a tent with about eight other people. Most of them you don't know, you never met before, and you just sleep on the floor. It's not a comfortable night's sleep. You have either a carry mat, as they call it, like a, a little a thin mat to sleep on. And the first night when I was there, I'd left the tent for something. A whirlwind had gone through the tent, through the tents, and blown mine out into the desert. So I didn't even have a bed. So you're just sleeping on the hard floor for the whole week. So it's, and the, and tents don't have sides either. So the wind just blows through all night. It's not the most comfortable night's sleep. No. Were you running as an individual then, Andrew? Yes. It's a, it, it's not a team event. It's just you run as an individual, but you, obviously you tend to get, you never feel like you're on your own because you, your tent mates become really good friends. I'm still in contact with almost all of them now. And that was quite a while ago now, but we're still friends and still keep in touch. But you come very close with the people who you sleep with, sleep at the end of the day with, but you don't race together. Every, everybody has to run, obviously, at their own speed. And presumably, that, I assume there were times when you wondered whether you would be able to complete it, were there? There was only once, really. I, the, on one of the stages, it's called the long stage. And essentially, it's a double marathon. It's, every, it's the one stage that everybody does the race fears. It's usually about day four. I think this is day four. You have to run a double marathon. And, and they have an elite start where all the faster runners, they set up about five hours after everybody else. And one of my ambitions for that race was to be in the elite start. And so the day before, I'd push myself really hard to try and finish in the top 50 so I could start with the elites the next day. And I pushed myself too hard and gave myself a heat stroke, made myself really ill. And so that day of the long day, I was, I was properly ill that morning, knowing I had a 56-mile run ahead of me through the sand in that heat. And that was the stage. I wasn't going to give up. I, I was more thinking that maybe my body just couldn't take it. I think that was the problem. And were you starting to wonder or maybe discover some of the advantages, some of the strengths that it, it gave you during those sort of events? Without a doubt, you, you're starting to see what things will make a difference to your little strength in you and give you that motivation to keep moving forwards. But I think a lot of the, because I talk about this as, as a speaker, well, a lot of the lessons you learn, you learn retrospectively, you look back over time. And just think, what was it that kept me going? Why didn't I stop? I think at the time, all you focused on really is just keeping going and putting one foot in front of the other and just getting the race finished. It's only after you look back and you realize what things made a difference to you. And presumably these were both physical and mental strengths as well? Yeah, I think it's mainly mental, I would say. Everybody says in ultra running, you're on the first 50 miles with your legs. And the second 50 miles, you run with your head. I think because your legs have gone, after anybody after running 50 miles, you're just exhausted and you just want to stop. So the second 50, you're just running on empty legs and it's just your head that keeps you going. And what, what, when you come off of an event like that, Andrew, what, what, what sort of recovery time is there? But again, both physically and mentally. It depends on the race. I, mentally, I've never seen them a problem mentally. You're just so glad it's over. You're usually on a high afterwards. But I think your body takes a while to recover properly. The 100 milers, the single stage races, 
I think it's incredible how fast your body heals and, and feels back to normal. But some of the a race I did recently where the long stage races, where you're racing day in, day out, a long period of time, I think you empty all your body's reserves of energy. And so you really are, there's nothing left in the, in the tank when you finish. And that can take weeks before you feel normal again. And that, uh, that I think, uh, was last August, wasn't it? In the uh, Mont Blanc race again. Uh, was this the what, second or third time you've taken part in that? Yes, it the, the race I mentioned earlier, the UTMB, which is a single race, the 105 miler, during the same week, they have another race called the PPL, which stands for uh, Petit Trot Lyon, uh, effectively Lyon's Little Walk, which is meant to be as a joke, I think. And um, <laughs> that is uh, a 300, 310k race around the Alps. So it's much longer and it takes, well, it took us six and a half days, but it's, for me, I think it's one of the hardest races in the world. There's nothing came close to it. And as you said, this is my third, third go of the race. You have to do it as a team. You have to finish at least, you start as a three. You have to have at least two to finish. And the two previous attempts, my teammates had dropped out at certain stages in the race. And you can't continue on your own. And so this year was my third crack at it. And one of the guys dropped out on day three, but the other guy kept going and we managed to finish, which was Amazing experience. After failing twice, to do it the third time was incredible. Yes, yeah. And I know it's over 300 kilometers, and obviously the Alps, I think you've described that as the equivalent of climbing Everest three times. Is, is that a good comparison? It, it is. It's mind-blowing. All, all the races, you have six and a half days, and from start to finish, you're either climbing a mountain or going down a mountain, as in Alpine mountains. And at least half the race is not on tracks. It's just complete wilderness walking. It's all at high altitude, but the climbing, yeah, the climbing is, it's 82,000 feet of ascent in the race. So it's Everest almost, yes, almost three times up and down Everest from base camp. So it's unimaginable how hard it is because of the climbing. The distance is bad enough, but the fact that every bit of the race, you're either going up a hill or down a hill. And that's the bit, you can't get your head around, so you're actually doing it. And presumably, in that sort of race where you are racing with colleagues, teamwork comes into it, doesn't it? Yeah, massively. You've got to work together. And I think you keep seeing each other the whole time. You're always chatting, keep an eye on each other, and doing your best to keep each other going. But it's easy to go into a dark place on some of these races. And fortunately, when you're feeling down, hopefully somebody else is feeling up. And uh, they can they can beat geeing you on and vice versa when they're having a, a, bad, a bad spell. It's a much dark humor going on while you're while you while you're running. Oh, yeah, all, all the time. When this this summer, this sorry, this uh, we did it in summer, but this this particular year it was the worst conditions I've ever had in the race. It's on the top of the hill, above two and a half thousand meters, it was snowing and a full on blizzard, and uh, and everybody, most of the runners you passed, they'd all make a comment how lovely the weather was or a lovely day for a run, but it seemed to, but nobody would ever say this is horrendous. It was just seemed to be every sport. You'd think you were on a beach in, in Barbados, the way all the competitors talk about it. Nobody would ever speak negatively about the weather, even though it was just, it was, it was so bad. Uh, and, and I know, Andrew, that you've got uh, a, a strong faith. W was that help, of help to you as, he, as you were competing? Oh, I, without a doubt. It's, I'm a Christian, and uh, I think, in times like that, when you're, when you're at your absolute end and you've got nothing left in the tank, 
you suddenly feel like you don't feel quite as full of your own strength, I would say. And it's the time you come. It's, it really helps if you think there's a, if you can start praying about it while you're running and then feel that you're not on your own, that there is a God and you're not by yourself. And uh, I think the amount of times that we pray for strength just to keep going and it, whether it makes a difference, I, I, it does to me, whether I'm imagining it or not, but for me, it really feels like it makes a difference. Yeah. And so through all this competition in, in very tough conditions, and I guess there is somewhat of a contrast between the Sahara at 50 degrees and the top of the Alps. So you've gone to those extremes. You obviously had lots of experiences, mental experiences, physical, as we said. And, and we, we're really talking about resilience within this podcast. Firstly, how do you define, what does resilience mean to you, Andrew? To me, resilience is just that ability to keep on going when all you want to do is stop. When, you, when tough times come, in whatever shape or form, and things get difficult, it's our ability just to keep moving forwards. And it's, it's not, you can't avoid, all of us have tough times, and they are unavoidable. But I think resilience is just that ability to, to keep going despite the problems and trying to be positive. But obviously, sometimes you can't be positive. Things are so bad. But resilience for me is just ne- not giving up. And I know that you're now talking to groups and relaying your experiences, suggesting that to people um, that resilience will help them in their everyday life and their businesses to overcome uh, challenges. How do you really relate that? You can't teach resilience, can you? You can certainly teach strategies uh, that can improve your resilience. It, it all started at a dinner party. I was sat with somebody and they were talking about some of these races. For example, the Petit Chogleon this summer, a quarter of the runners, they dropped out on the first day. It's a six-day race for a quarter of the field to drop out. And these are all experienced ultra runners. You have to have a CV. You've got to be mountain athletes. But a quarter dropped out on the first day, and by the end of the race, well over half had dropped out. And, and people would say, Why, how do you keep going when other people stop, when they've had enough? And at the time, I, I don't know, really, so I sat down, got a piece of paper out, started listing all the things that I would say were the factors in me not giving up. When I, and suddenly realized it wasn't just one thing, it was a whole list of things, and also None of them were because I'm a tough guy and got natural toughness. Every one of them was something that you can develop and you can build. So they said, you, I would say learn resilience, but you can build resilience and all the building blocks there. And by focusing on them, you can, we can all be more resilient. Can you give me a, an indication of the sort of things that were on your list? Yeah, I know. I think the number one, that it's, it's always, it's so applicable to ultra running. The number one for builder for resilience is having people around you who've got your back. You've got people who are a, a, a network of friends. And I'm not talking Facebook friends. I'm talking friends who know you intimately, who, who care about you, who definitely love you. And that feeling of being loved and supported and having people, yeah, having your back. And that is one of the biggest things is to help people keep going. I think to try and face problems and difficulties by yourself. Is, is so much harder. In fact, some of the races you do, they, you're allowed to run with a pacer. Uh, I did a race in California uh, called the Western States, and at 50 miles, you're allowed to have somebody running with you. So when you're having a hard time and these are getting difficult, you've always got somebody by your side uh, just to keep you going. And it's just it's a real example of how your resilience is, is helped 
just by having somebody who's looking after you. And obviously, we, we are living in difficult times today. Life yeah. is not easy. Business is not, not easy. So is resilience more important today? And, and is resilience the same as positivity, or is it, there much more to it than that, Andrew? It's certainly, for as far as business is concerned, I think it's more important today. I think the, 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 the amount of, of uh, difficulties people are having mentally at the moment the use of antidepressants is just at an all-time high. The amount of people that are off with stress and anxiety and depression, it seems like life is tough. I think on the back of COVID, I think things are a lot worse for a lot of people. So I think resilience is really important today. And, and I don't think resilience is just about being positive. I think it's more than that. I think you've got some of these strategies, thinking about having friends, living in a certain way, or one of the Another one I talk about is living generously. It's just a lifestyle where you're living your life thinking about other people rather than yourself. I think there's a lot of people banding around saying, you've just got to be positive. I don't think it's that. I think you've got to be strong. And uh, you build strength over time. And by learning these skills and, and putting yourself in hard and difficult situations and then coming out on the other side and realizing you can do it. But I think just by positive thinking, I think it's, it's got to be more than that. And I, I guess you're not suggesting that those facing challenges set off for a run across the Sahara. Your whole experience it, it has been a series of building blocks, has it? Yeah, I would say definitely. I think it, the, the, the people talk about in trying to find things you like, do things that scare you or, or challenge you. And it could be anything from speaking in front of people to, to, to leading a trip or organizing an event where it's something right outside of your comfort zone. And the more of these things you do, the more resilient you become, because obviously you're going to face obstacles and hard times. And it's coming out the other side of things that have challenged you that, that make you stronger and help you realize the importance of resilience. Well, were there any instances that, that happened during your ultra running that turned a light bulb on? Were there any incidents that you suddenly thought, ah, that's the key to resilience? As, as I said earlier, just... Knowing that somebody's around you, this, this year when I was doing the race, they're pretty trotly There are times, because you're out there for six and a half days, it's just so hard. You sleep on average a half an hour a night. So you're, you're in the whole week, you only sleep for six hours. And so you're utterly spent. And sometimes you'd be on a glacier, 3,000 meters in the middle of the Alps with not a soul in sight other than your teammate. And you form with tin. You suddenly come into an area where you've got some reception. Your phone will ting. It'll be a friend at home who's just sent a text. And so I can see your dot on the map because you've got a tracker and people are going to follow you. I can see your dot on the map. And this is three o'clock in the morning. This is, I'm just sat watching you and I'm just cheering you on. Just keep going. And then the phone will ting again and it'll ting again. And suddenly you get like 20 messages hitting your phone. Yeah, you can't really read them. I've got time to read them all carefully. But to see all these people that are at home in England in the middle of the night watching your dot and knowing they're thinking of you and cheering you on for afar is a real lesson how much it gives you a lift. They thought, you're never going to stop. Don't clear anybody down. It's, a, it's such a huge boost. And on some of the things you're saying, it's just struck me that euphoria must be part of the part of, because presumably the closer you got to the finish line in Chamonix, euphoria would really have kicked in wouldn't it funny enough the euphoria kicks in while you're doing the race on this race across the alps this year 
I, so many times you find yourself, because you're alone with your thoughts, you've got nothing else to think about. You'll be walking for just hours and hours in, in the pitch black in the middle of nowhere, and there's nothing to distract you. And you just have time just to think about your life, about your family, about your kids, your faith. That all these things start coming to mind. And I, I think almost every day uh, of this, of the six day racing, I'd find myself just weeping uncontrollably by myself. You know, just quietly, no, the other guys on my team didn't know, and just weeping with unbelievable pure joy and euphoria of that feeling of just being utterly alive. It's really hard to describe because it's never happened to me before. It's a whole, it was a new experience to me where, because you've got nothing left. You're just spent, and it's suddenly you're always in left to just focus on what you've got, and you find these moments of gratitude. But they seem just so much more real, I think, when there's no other distractions. And it was an amazing experience. And in giving the, some of the talks that you've given, then Andrew, in terms of feedback from some of the people, were there examples where people or your audience were able to relate practically to to some of the things that you're saying? Oh, definitely. I think there's, I met a guy uh, at a, another dinner party for last week, a guy I haven't seen for a year. He came to my talks a year ago and he's a business consultant. And, and he said, Andrew, I just have to say, I, I do give you credit, but I, I use your points from your talk in my business consultancy work all the time. I said, so many of the points on resilience are so applicable to other parts of business that I tend to use them with my clients and, uh, because they work. So it is it is helpful. It, it is applicable. And, uh, and somebody, everybody takes away something different, I think, from the talks. Something, if I, I think I, I usually have about 12 different points, 12 things that can improve your resilience. And some people might not, some of them just don't apply to somebody. They don't see it being for them. But where another one just might hit home and they're the ones they don't forget. So in the talks, there's always, everybody I meet always has one thing. It's usually something different that I've said that really strikes a chord with them. You've done all these, what, what, what's the ambitions now? Is there uh, anything in the calendar that's going to top the Alps? There's nothing in the calendar. There's something in my, on my wish list. I think next, I promised my wife that next summer there's going to be no racing. So we can, because I think she, sometimes she'll have enough of me just being away training all day. Because for some of these events, you've got to go out for a whole day uh, running in the hills as you're training. And that's hard my weekend. So it's really not fair in her. So I said, this next summer, nothing. But the year after that, there is another race similar to the PTL, but slightly harder that uh, I think I'd like to have a crack at. By that time, I'll be 62 and I might be getting too old. So who knows? But it's certainly, certainly there to aim for. Andrew, look, that's absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much. Can we, if I could ask you, is there one single strong message that you would give to people that are having a tough time in, in, in business and look to increase or improve their resilience? I guess my message would be for everybody, it is possible to improve your resilience. There, there is another way. I think so many people see it. It's so easy to see an obstacle and not see a way out of it. And think this is all just too much. It's, I find it so hard to cope. I think it's just having that mindset to think I am strong enough. I can find a way around this. I can strengthen my resilience. It doesn't have to be this way. And, and to intentionally live in a way that's, that doesn't accept that. I think, you know, and actually looking, how can I strengthen my resilience? And I believe you can. I believe we all can. And, and those steps 
if you can strengthen your resilience, then obviously the hardships we encounter, we've got more chance of, of getting through them rather than being crushed by them. That's terrific. And in the show notes to this podcast, there will be a link to Andrew's website. Andrew, can I thank you for that uh, run through some quite scary experiences, but at the same time, very rewarding. Yeah, no, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on the show. That's all right. And best of luck with, with your year off. And I'm sure at 62, you will gallop around whatever. Is there any sort of particular race that you've got in mind? Or, or no? Yeah, the race. I know the race. The race is really called the Tour de Gio. It's is Italia for Tour of the Giants. And it's a race around the high Alps on the other side of Mont Blanc. So it's the Elster Valley of the Epistle Corbeil. Yeah. And this race is, this one's over 400 kilometers, I think about 420 kilometers with the same amount of climbing. So it's a very, it's a race very similar to the PTL. It's just a bit longer and a bit more climbing. So it's just the, ne- the next step up. Good gracious. Look, thank you ever so much again, Andrew. It's been absolutely fascinating. And can I wish you well with whatever you've got going on in your life and also with the motivational talks that you give because I do know and I've spoken to people who've been there and they got great value at it. So thank you very much indeed and best wishes. Thank you very much. Thank you. What a fascinating story. The word resilience is not easy to define for it consists of many qualities, not all of which are totally applicable to each and every person. Resilience is certainly required today as we go through challenging times. And in his talks, Andrew identifies at least a dozen qualities that can contribute to somebody's ability to be resilient to events around them, whether in business or in life. Now, Andrew's details are shown in the show notes to this episode. So I'm Chris Biddle, thank you for joining me, and this is Inside AgriTurf.